This is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what, what to ask with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. On the show today, you'll find out where book publishing is going and how to take advantage of it. How to identify and avoid publishing predators. What opportunities are emerging as the book trade evolves in new forms. How to avoid losing money and much, much more. Join us now as a variety of publishing pros will deliver insights and strategies to take the author to the next, next level of publishing. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd. And now, here's your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Publishing, writing, and creativity, they all go hand in hand. And we've, we've never done a show like this, but when I met this individual in, of course, why not Las Vegas, um, when I was speaking uh, a few weeks ago, that I really thought, oh, this is perfect to really take it and expand it. And actually, as I was watching one of my addictions, which is called The Voice, television show i was mesmerized by the phenomenal one quick change between sets and as it's gone into its high rev now of having far more accompaniments visuals fast changes um, and really things to grab enhance the performer our guest today is perfect to be with us steve bass is really an expert in what we call production design he is a multi, and I'm talking multi, award-winning Emmy uh, winner. I guess I'm going to be redundant here. He's designed many of the prestigious live and television sets for the Oscars, the Grammys, the Emmys, and the Tonys. And he also had his fingertips on the worldwide audience's view of his work for the opening and closing ceremonies of the Atlanta Olympics, the Salt Lake Olympics, Metals Plaza, the Democratic Convention, the Oh No, It's Gone, the Ringley Brothers Barnard and Bailey Circus, and the inaugural celebration at the Lincoln Memorial for President Obama. So he knows live set design. He has a long-standing history designing for the entertainment programs and great performances. And I really wanted Steve to be with us for the full hour to really talk about Really, the, there is a design, there is a production of your work, and also as you roll it out in the launchings you do, the celebrations, the signings, the interactions, the speaking, and everything. But, and I, and I will tell everyone, he has just come from New York. He cannot talk about the current Tonys and what's going to happen, which is another one of my addictive shows I always watch every year. But he can talk about what comes together for these productions and how it could tie to you as a writer and author. So, Steve Bass, welcome to Author You, your guide to book publishing. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here with you. So, I, I guess, and you know, I know you can't talk about what's going on, but we can talk about some of the things that have made these kind of award shows so slick, click, tick, and then sometimes what happens when they bomb. I think I, we always need to, if people learn from failures, do they not? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, one of the interesting things about being on a creative team is, you know, the, the process is filled with dreams and hopes and ideas, and it's a lot of fun, but we have no control over how the audience consumes it or processes it. 
And so no matter how hard we work when you talk about bonds, so much of it comes down to the marketing department. And we can spend thousands of hours working on something. And if they don't promote it or if they put it in a bad time slot, all of a sudden nobody watches it. And then we're all waiting breathlessly the next day, you know, like, how are the ratings? How many people watch the show? And the Tonys in particular has a very niche audience. And, you know, we're always hoping that the ratings will go up. And sometimes they don't if it's not promoted. So a lot of the, the work that we do and the behind the scene things that no one knows about is processed through a lens that we have no control over. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, when, when you mentioned the behind the scenes that people know know about, I had the same discussion with a client that we're working on her book. And she she had this this perception that all the work we would be doing would be face to face with her all the time. And I would say, absolutely, that's the minor part of the work. <laughs> it's all yeah, the behind the scenes. And and often um, I, I, authors often don't get that. And, and I suspect sometimes your clients don't get that. Would that be true? Well, you know, the world has changed so much in every format. And so much of my work as a designer is very similar to what writers go through. It's very solitary. Um, I do it by myself at home on my laptop and no one's involved. Um, now, other designers work completely differently, but that just happens to be how I work. Mm-hmm. Um, and back in the early days, I, everybody wanted me to show up for a meeting. You know, uh, they wanted it to be in person and that, which mm-hmm. meant, you know, I live in Hollywood, which meant it was an hour to an hour and a half to drive to producer's office and to sit there for 45 minutes while they were on the phone. And then, you know, we'd spend an hour together talking about the set and all of a sudden my day was gone. Well, now producers don't want me coming in because they don't want to come into the office either. Um, they want to be at their homes in Park Spring, you know, Park City or Malibu or whatever. And so through the the digital world of the internet and Skype and GoToMeeting or BlueJeans and all these things that we use, um, nobody really wants to meet a person anymore until the very end. And in some ways, it's such a blessing because it gives all of us artists to create in our own personal space and spend less time in traffic, which is such a daunting part of doing business in Los Angeles. I used to live in, in Los fact, Angeles, so I know that. <laughs> oh, so you know quite well. In fact, yesterday I had a meeting, and it was quite fascinating. It was a, um, a WebEx meeting, and it was with a, for a project in development, and it was with a company in Australia. And I was in New York. Um, our producer was in Osaka. The, uh, my business partner was in Los Angeles, and our producer, our other producer was in Florida. So it was amazing to think that the entire world – and all these different time zones were all talking together and we were seeing each other on the screen in real Amazing. time. Yeah. In real time. In real time. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah and I, that is a blessing. And, and although for me, when I sit down with an author, I actually want to get on a, a Skype or a go to meeting or something. I want to visually see them. I want to see, I want to do a face to face with them. If we, if we are not in person, a lot of times people will actually come out to my office. Sometimes they come out and spend a couple of days as we put together the structure of the game plan and we do all that. And then everything else can be done remotely and going back and forth. Um, I have no problem with that. And I've, I've written full books with clients in Hong Kong that we've never, ever met in person. And the books came out just fine. Yeah. Well, you know, I, 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 completely believe in that process. There are people that I never meet until the very end when we're doing a huge show. 
you know, and these, I mean, this is like really high risk television where we just mm-hmm. come together for the last couple of days before it's broadcast for the entire world to see. And mm-hmm. we can handle the entire process considered mostly over email. And it really is amazing because I think good communication exists in all forms. And of course, it's easiest as human beings when we have the luxury of reading each other's facial expressions. But if you are a good communicator and can get your messages across via email, it can be just as effective. And that's the home run for everyone. So, yeah, I guess we need to say to all of you, you need to let go a little bit and trust the people you're working with, <laughs> assuming you've done the homework yeah, and, and you've decided it's the right person. Yeah, and I would also say, Judith, because, you know, you you are a high-powered professional. You're super accomplished, and I am in my own field. And my time is really precious. And what other people may think requires an hour of my time for me requires 30 seconds or a minute. And when you're working with people who are really on their game, you want to be as succinct as possible and direct as possible, knowing that they know how to get you the answer you need immediately. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right. So let, let's jump in to, to the design you heard. I mean, I, I have to tell you, when I watched The Voice the other night, I was wowed and I thought of you the whole time, Steve, knowing that we would be working together on on today and watching the f- number one um, applauding what they can do in three minutes in a commercial break is stunning. And two, and and two, what 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 you can do with all the digital enhancements and the colors and the flashing and the movements and all that, um, which would be almost impossible ten years ago. Yeah, you're you're well, you're right. I mean, the world of design has changed so much through technology, um, through LED, not only on screens but lower res LED and things called tape light, which gives a lot of luminosity to things. Mm -hmm. What I find most amazing, you know, like let's say things can just happen in three minutes in a commercial Mm -hmm. is in the world of live event television. It is like no other medium. Um, And what's, what's interesting, and I'm going to bounce around a little bit here, but in doing the Oscars, we work with film producers and they are used to one project a year. And, when you work in live television, you're used to one project a week, which means we're doing 50 shows and they're doing one show. And the more rapidly that you work, the more specialized jobs become. And so when you're on the stage on someplace like The Voice, and I, a good friend designed that show and worked on that show, um, everybody has such an incredibly specific job that they do so many times a day at such a rapid pace. It's a system that allows for producing things quickly. And, it, and it's very analogous to just the Internet itself. You know, I mean, people can produce different pieces of entertainment for the Internet so much faster than it used to be. You know, even, you know, cutting together films on their iPhone and posting them on YouTube. You know, that used to be a year long process with the camera crew. Um, so as we evolve and specialize Things can happen almost instantaneously, and it's really amazing to see. And I love being a part of that. I, I know it's well. It's like it's um, it's a, a combination of eye candy and magic to me. When you see it, it it takes sleight of hand to a whole new dimension of, of what gets does. pulled off. And and what's really interesting is, and it's always a learning process for me, is. There's a blend between the real built environment, which is human beings we like to engage in, Mm -hmm. and how you process that environment, which is through the television screen. And television is all light. And so 
as design evolves, we become more reliant on manipulation of light, you know, through either traditional lighting instruments, through LED, through graphics that are overlaid on scenery in the digital world or played back through the LED screens in the space. And so it becomes this really interesting hybrid. And even when you're on stage, it's like a dream. And there's nothing that's more exciting than walking into a soundstage or a theater where you're doing your show and the work lights are on and, you know, all the crew hasn't come in yet. And all of a sudden, you know, it's call, right? It's like 8 a.m. in the morning and they yep. turn on the generators and all the lights go on. And, and the ta-da happens. Yep. Yeah, and there's this incredible moment where it's like this soul rushes into your design work and it just comes to life and everything right. changes. So with that, we're going to come right back and we're going to jump into actually similarities between scenic design and showing and not telling in your writing. We'll be right back. This is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these. Is there a book in you or another author you will show you how to create, develop, and publish your book without being hoodwinked? If you already have a book out, you'll find a supportive and brainstorming community that's connected and creative no matter where you live. Author U brings in national experts for its book camps and annual author extravaganza held each May. It has regular meetings and delivers webinars for its members on timely topics. Through Author U's extensive network, members enjoy exclusive benefits, including significant discounts for a variety of services necessary to publish. The Resource, its online book publishing news magazine, is content-heavy and it's free. If you want to create a book that has pizzazz, punch, and panache, Author U is for you. If you're a hobbyist or a casual author, it's not. Join Author U today through its website at authoru.org. Follow Author U on Twitter at Author U and on Facebook at Author U, where timely author and publishing tips and articles are posted daily. Author U, where the author goes to become seriously successful. First impressions are everything in the world of book publishing. Whether your book is an ebook, a print version, or both, your book cover needs to pop, sizzle, and sparkle to immediately capture the attention of your audience. And your book's interior needs to be just as dynamic and reflect the professionalism your readers demand. Nick Selinger of NZ Graphics has won numerous national and international book awards for his cover designs and interior layouts. With over 20 years of experience in graphic design, he knows what it takes to create award-winning books and the many promotional pieces that authors need, such as posters, banners, postcards, one-sheets, business cards, logos, and more. Visit ncgraphics.com and see what authors and publishers have to say about their award-winning books and how NZ Graphics can make your book the success it was meant to be. That's nzgraphics.com. Welcome back to your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. If you want to write and publish a book, if you want to be successful as an author, your guide to book publishing, everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask, is for you. Stay tuned and you'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. 
Have you ever thought about the 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 similarity and sometimes the differences between really a great scenic design you see when you see a live production or even a movie set um, and your own writing and really what the, they are displaying in visual form so quickly is the fine and true art of showing and not even saying a word many times. So with me is Steve Bass. He's a he's an expert in production design. He just happens to be the the visionary brains design design of shows like you know the Oscars and the Tonys. Um, and we can't talk about the current Tonys, but he's just he's working on that right now. And so I asked Steve before we went into the break is really let's go into scenic design and and let's let's mirror it with writing. So Steve, where would you start? Well, I, I would start by confessing, Judith, that I am in the process of writing my very first book. You are, and, yes. Yeah, which I'm very mm-hmm. excited about. But um, I hadn't really uh, had any formal training in writing since high school, which is embarrassing. I studied architecture in college, and we're not required to write anything. Um, and have been devouring lots of information so I can better understand this world and had never even heard the term showing versus telling and didn't quite know how to process that. And someone, a professor who was teaching a small course had said, you know, what do you show? Everybody says showing versus telling. And I thought, yeah, what do you show? Because it was interesting in, in my first draft of my book, I was very reticent to overly design the book being a scenic designer, um, because I know that I have a tendency to obsess about the visual world, um, because that's where I'm most comfortable. And so I really shied away from it in my writing, and my first draft was all telling. And I was so excited to learn about showing versus telling. And what the, the woman that was teaching the class said is she said, you show emotion. And I immediately clicked, because as a designer, that is my job, is to create physical dimensional space that captures the emotion. Emotion of a song, emotion of a moment, emotion of an event, emotion of a character. And um, I'm so well-trained because that's what I do every day. And I didn't realize, oh my gosh, I have 25 years designing scenery that helps give me the lens to create a visual world for my reader. And I felt like a convert into the world of writing. I was so excited. I was running around telling friends about this incredible lesson of showing versus telling, which I guess any writer, that's sort of like the kindergarten, right? It's the first step, but it was new to me. And my <laughs> well, friends Steve, let me just writers. Yeah, let me just ask. I, yeah, I, go ahead. I, I wish it was the first step. I wish it was the first tale. <laughs> okay. and, and, and I tried to drill in the, the, you know, you go back to the five, you know, the five initial senses, you know, the hear, see, touch, feel, et cetera, taste, that those, those emotions, that, that the emotions that tie into those where they, it is to play with body language or facial expressions or just plain silence sometimes uh, are essential in setting up the storytelling. And yet a lot of authors don't get that. They don't get it. Well, so. what, what is, was so fascinating to me that I learned is that faces and letters are processed in the same part of our brain. And it is in a visual cortex, and it is the most instantaneous and rapid-firing part of our brain, which means to process the visual word on the page as an art form, it has to inspire visual images in your brain. 
to connect. And I love the science behind that because, you know, as being a designer, I'm a balance between science and art. Um, and so it really spoke to me about the power of creating visuals through words. And I would try to explain this to my friends and, and they're like, well, what do you mean? And I would say, well, you know, as a set designer, I love to talk about physical space. So I say, let's say you are in a restaurant that you go to all the time and it's a Mexican restaurant and you're on a first date. And so the visuals that you might describe are, we both ordered the same glass of wine or the wallpaper was as red and flush as my cheeks. But you could go back to the same restaurant for a Mexican restaurant for a breakup and you would say, the waiter immediately set down two steak knives because they knew we were going to both order carne asada. And, you know, and the lighting was so dim, I felt like all I could see were glowing eyes. So it's <laughs> a completely different way of looking at the same space. <laughs> and that's what I love about design, is that you're able to pick out these physical qualities that amplify the emotion. But what is amazing is if we think about the space that all of us are most intimate with our own home and think about the incredible range of emotion that exists within that physical space. You know, our highest highs and our lowest lows often play out in a house that tells every single story at the same time. And it's so interesting to think about what are those things that even surround us every day that amplify our emotions. If we were to pick from that kit of parts, and that's kind of what my job is like as a scenic designer. You know, if I'm picking LED screens or I'm picking basket material or I'm edge lighting things, I only have so many tools that I can use. But I have to use them to tell completely different stories in new ways. And I think that that, that kit of parts is what really sort of bridges this world between visual writing and visual design, and which is why I love being here so much because I'm really growing as an artist through understanding the visual world through writing. And that's pretty exciting. That is actually, that is exciting. So let me ask you this. So when you, cause we're really talking about, since you're into your own book, you're writing a novel. Do you want to tell our yes. listeners what the title is? The pending sure, title? It's called, yeah. So the pending title is, it's called a time for not knowing it's a memoir and it is just briefly. It's about, really destiny and free will in my life and what happens when some supernatural things happen to me that reveal my future and what happens when I go looking for it. Okay. Those are the basics, um, but it's been great. It, you know, and I think that um, the thing about design is I'm such a great self-editor and I'm really ruthless with my creative work as a designer. I'm never precious about anything. And I believe one of the challenges of memoir from what I've heard is that it's tricky processing our own life into a story that has a great arc that is compelling for readers. That's not just good for us. And I feel so blessed because of my regular creative work that I can have a really critical eye on my own life and say, that's not interesting. This part's important. This part relates to the narrative. Um, and, and very early on through that, process, Judith, I realized that in my first draft, I spent hours and hours and hours, of course, working about a year on and off, but I, I worked pretty fast. So I put it away for a couple months and take it out. And I had this manuscript and it was, you know, this, it felt like me in 250 pages. 
And I handed it to a friend and they read it and they enjoyed it and they had some notes and, you know, and they said, oh, it's a really fast read. It was really fun. And I thought, wow, I need to accept the fact that my life is going to be turned into four hours of entertainment for someone. <laughs> and or more or more. Was, or more or a week or whatever, or however long it takes somebody to read a book. Right. And I'm always aware of my audience as a designer. And I always think about how are people perceiving it? How are they connecting with the emotional journey? How does entertainment relate? And, and the audience is 50% of any experience, you know, which is why through design, you see things like mosh pits or close-ups of people laughing and crying and yeah. applauding in the audience. So you can see it and you don't have that luxury of seeing your reader when they're reading your book. But if without your reader, your book doesn't exist, right? You, you are creating it for an audience. And there is a balance between, especially in memoir, I think, creating something for yourself, which is a very cathartic experience to process whatever emotions you're going through in your book, and what the reader is going to yeah. take away. Yeah. And, well, and it, I, for memoir writing, yeah, for memoir writing, what I have to say to all our listeners is you always have to, it, it is about you, we get that. But you always have to be able to answer the question, you know, why would they be interested in you? What are your unique experiences, your ahas, your screw ups, your fill in the blank that would bring people in and keep moving them along? And a lot of memoirs don't have that that take that it's just like, OK, well, I'm going to dump all this stuff up because this is my story. But they forget, you know, is their story really interesting to others? And And that's, you know, you're into storytelling. It has to be. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, I, I just I read a little a little funny piece and it was it was someone that said, you know, there's a, you should read this book. It's a woman who writes something about rescuing a moth and nothing could be so boring in some ways. <laughs> but apparently it was beautifully written. I didn't have a chance to read it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, at least through my work. Right. I can't can't speak for anyone else, I really try to focus on what are the universal human emotions that are underlying very specific or intimate things that are happening to me? You know, what are those fears or what are ways that I relate to the outside world or that we all see each other that I can fold back and help guide you? And one of the things that I've been so fascinated with through this process is giving my book to very smart friends and having them not understand my intention or motivation or moments that I have been too clever. And I've had to really spell it out. And then when I go back and read it, I think, oh, it's so much better if I can just tell the reader why I'm doing this or how this relates to the big picture or why there was a moment that happened earlier in the book that is now coming back that has this beautiful um, parallel. And I call out the parallel to their attention so I can let them be in on it. And it's, I believe it's really important that the reader feels maybe 5% more clever than I am and that I'm never leaving them behind. And by doing that, I think as a designer, I always think about the big picture. And then I yeah. kind of whittle it down to the details. And, and, and you, you can give a, little hints. Go ahead. Yeah, let, let's, let's take a quick break. We have one more break here. And, um, and then come back to that and we can continue with that, you know, hooking the reader in, which is so essential. After all, the average reader leaves on page 18 and doesn't open the book again. We'll be right back. Talk for you. Your guide to publishing. 
is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these. Want to publish like a pro today? Well, then take a look at Ingram Spark, the only publishing platform that offers print and ebook services through a single source. Upload, edit, and manage titles all in one place. Take more control of printing costs with print on demand and reach even more readers through one of the world's most extensive distribution networks. Built by independent publishers for independent publishers, Ingram Spark has everything you need to maximize your book's potential. Color printing, ebook distribution, print on demand, global reach, and more. Start publishing with Ingram Spark today and see just how far your titles will go tomorrow. That's IngramSpark.com. Many of us have dreamed of writing a book. Some of us even have. Then the hard work starts. You'll need an editor. Who will design the cover or typeset the pages? Who will format the ebook? If you're a business owner, consultant, or coach with a serious message and expertise to share, the team of experts at 1106 Design can guide you through the maze. They've helped more than a thousand authors create top quality books and avoid the not so reputable self publishing companies. Learn more at 1106design.com. Then call Michelle at 602 866 1106 Design. Ned Thompson and Harry Shore started Thompson Shore in 1972. They believed employees with great character would make up the best company. They were right. They hired people who were not only experts in bookmaking, but who were obsessed with quality and delivering exceptional customer service. Almost 40 years later, Thompson Shore remains a 100% employee-owned company. Ned and Harry knew that successful customer projects are a direct result of empowered employees. We specialize in all books for large and small publishers. Creating beautiful and well-made books, we're dedicated to pleasing our customers by making the experience a good one from start to finish. The personal touch we have with our customers allows us to be innovative in solving their most difficult challenges. Our platform also ensures that we can remain flexible to meet our customers' unique needs and expectations. Our marketing kit can create buzz for your title, enhancing the promotion of your book during infancy. When you need to test the market to gauge your future sales, we can provide digitally printed books that will transition seamlessly into a larger offset run. From ebook to hard copy to delivery, our skillful customer service teams are at the ready to answer your most pressing questions. At Thompson Shore, we know that making the highest quality books requires more than just best technologies. It requires superior customer service, professionalism to the trade, and commitment to environmental and social values. With these standards of excellence in place, you can be sure that we will always help you put your best book forward. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Coming up, you'll hear more about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. All right, today we're having a a conversation with the highly creative, extraordinarily successful 
um, state of the art from the Oscars to the Tonys to, you know, even Disney uh, designing techniques that Steve Bass brings to the party. And he is currently working on the Tony, so we can't talk about the current Tony show that's coming up. Um, but for some of you who are listening to this, we're past the Tony show because <laughs> we listen to podcasts over and over again. But we're talking about uh, the, the art of really scenic designing and how that integrates and complements, supplements uh, the whole art of storytelling and how it should be used in your writing to that. So one one of the things, Steve, that that I know we we all have been criticized. I'm sure that you've had some doozies of zingers come your way over the years. So what about being open to criticism and um, and and you know whether people speak about problems but they don't really bring solutions to the party? You know where are you and how do you handle a lot of that? Because you know, dealing with as you're an artist, and and if people don't like what you do, it's it's kind of attack on your artistry, is it not? Right. Well, you know, I feel that criticism is actually one of my greatest talents, or accepting criticism, accepting it, uh-huh. and accepting it. And I have designed over, I think, 500 projects, which is a lot, right? And that means that over 500 people have been willing to invest anywhere from. I'd say $100,000 to $45 million in my work, right, uh, per single project. And, and, and so that's pretty much like selling a book, right? You're looking for investors who are going to believe in your creative vision. And everything is a, a process of involving more people and more partners to really realize your vision. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I find is that so many people love working with me because I accept their criticism. And I have had so many people, producers in particular, confess to me, they say, one of the reasons I always want to work with you is if I don't like something, you never make me feel bad. You never, I never have to deal with your emotions. You never give me a guilt trip. It's never like, oh, but I really like that because I really listen. And there's a trick to listening that I want to share with you, Judith, and, and, and your readers is that yes. as an artist, I am the best at coming up for solutions in my own creative work. So what I love is when partners talk to me about problems, but they don't offer solutions because, and I'm really good at picking them out. And very few people can speak in problems. Only the very best leaders will come to you, come to me and say, you know, Steve, I really like this design, but it just feels a little, a little too traditional. And I'm looking for something that's a little more playful. Usually what they say is, why don't we try making this blue? And then I'll go back and I'll bring them a set that's blue and they go, oh, I don't really like blue. And it's like, you know, and I never say, oh, but you said you wanted blue. It's my job when they say, why don't you try making it blue to realize maybe they want it to be a little more playful. And I, and, and what the, so what the trick is, is when people tell you something, first identify if they're speaking to you in a problem or if they're giving you a solution. And then when you're giving a solution, that's when you have to put on your psychologist cap. And I always ask myself, why are they saying this to me or what is it that they're seeing? And how much of their problems are they bringing to this? Like, for example, because my book is a memoir, um, a good friend read it and she actually gave some really good notes. She wasn't too light about it, but she said, and I said, you know, the editor felt that one of the main characters in the book is in the book too much. 
And my friend said, oh, no, no, no. I want to hear all the juice on that guy, right? I want to hear all the details. And the way that she said it and the tone in her voice told me that she had not emotionally recovered from that person actually being in my life and living through it. And so she needed to read my book as a therapeutic experience. But, and so it's my job as the artist, when I'm getting that type of criticism, to realize, A, she's speaking to me in a solution. She wants to hear more juicy details about this particular person. But I have to identify why she's saying that. And then I have to decide if that's right for me. And that is a really finely honed skill that I have learned through designing scenery and being in rooms with so many different executives who some scream, some laugh. Some are too embarrassed to tell me what they're thinking. Some just send me pictures of other shows and want me to sort of figure it out. And everybody communicates differently, but I'm the same person in that process. And, and so the skill to find and listen for problems as opposed to believing that someone else is going to give you the solution for your own creative work is one of the most important skills. So listen, but be, as you said, with your psychologist hat on, then you've got to go into which way to interpret. And sometimes in that listening, you may be articulating, would you be where you're going to suggest articulating back what you think they hear? Or are you going to take that away and noodle on it? Well, a lot of times in the way I move it forward is is someone may say, oh, you know, I want a blue. And I say, and 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 I'm watching their face. I'm listening to their tonality. I'm mm-hmm. thinking about the other words that they said earlier. And I'm tr- it's like a mystery, right? And I'm trying to put the whole puzzle together. And I'll say, I think maybe you are looking for this to be more playful. And they say, exactly. You're a mind reader, right? And so the more that I can get them to land on an emotion as opposed to an execution, the better off I am. And oh, I love that. Really, yeah. And yeah, really, man, you know, emotion, helps. yeah. Yeah. Versus um, it, re- it really helps to for them to believe in it. And then and then what happens is if we say, listen, I want this set to be playful and youthful, but it needs to be sophisticated and mm-hmm. it needs to feel really prime time. And if we can land on a series of emotions that we're trying to create the physical space through, then they will see it when I bring it back to them, because those words are also already in their head. Mm-hmm. Right. They partnered with me on creating that. So through writing, if I can get people to understand the emotions, the bigger picture emotions, then they're going to buy into the details, too. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the same way. Right. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a common ground mm-hmm. between it. And mm-hmm. it's really it's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, let me let me give an example. I, I saw um, uh, oh, the original Disney play, the original Beauty and the Beast play. And they had this. Yeah. And, and actually, it was back on Broadway. And it had this spectacular um, uh, stage design that you gave the sense that you were, and I'm a, you know, a book person, surrounded by floor to ceiling, wall to wall books. You were surrounded, a massive, massive visual deal. When I saw, saw the play here in Denver, which was uh, certainly, I mean, I thought it was stepped down in a lot of ways, just the, the traveling that came through last year. Right. Th- that right. Um, I was unbelievable, here's the emotion, disappointed in the mediocre presentation of the library that Bill discovers in the mansion. Unbelievable step down. When I saw okay. 
you know, going to the movie now that just came out not too long ago. And we did a girls event. All the girls in the family all went from from the 11 year old to to me. And um, we all went and and I was reduced (laughs) because of the massive, massive presentation of the library that was in there. And, and, you know, that what you can execute, you can show, okay, we have a couple of bookshelves, or you can do, tap into the emotion of she is going to be overwhelmed by seeing thousands of books versus maybe, you know, 20. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. So that that was just something that we, we experienced and everyone came away, all the girls, there's six of us, all came away with the same experience. It was because we're all yeah. bookies. It, 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 was, <laughs> it was, I mean, the movie, the, the library was just, it took my breath away too. I think I was overwhelmed yeah. when I saw it. Yeah, um, cool. What's interesting that you mentioned the story about being the beast is I have a little bit of insider knowledge because ironically I'm friends with the designer who designed the Broadway version. And I just saw him a week ago and he designed the touring version. And what is fascinating about your comment, Judith, is that as designers, we can only control so much of what the audience sees because there was a whole different business model and motivation Mm -hmm. behind the tour that didn't allow for maybe some of that emotional connection that you had seen on Broadway or in the film. Yeah, it was a bummer. There's compromises. (laughs) Yeah, and I I get that. But But what I would say through our writing, Judith, and through books is the power of those visuals do not have to be compromised. You no, know. no, you could you could write that up and you could take me on a journey or any reader on a journey in describing um, in, in in showing in your words of of what that what that library would look like. And it wouldn't take yeah, it's free. Yeah, it's free. It's free, right? You could you could have four billion books and it could cover the entire continental United States. <laughs> and you don't have to pay for it. Hey, right? there you go. All right, so we're going to take one more break here, and I here's what what I want. I'm going to set up our final our final segment with um, Master Steve Bass here on on really the creativity in writing. We, I want to talk about the eleven o'clock. He calls it the eleven o'clock number um, versus the epiphany. We're going to get into that. I want to also kiss on deadlines and getting things done because you have to be working on some really amazing deadlines at times, Steve. And let's talk about summing up and saying your book, describing it in one short sentence. Crucial for all of you to understand. We'll be right back. It's author you, your guide to book publishing. is your guide to book publishing everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host dr judith briles and we'll be right back with more great information right after these the book shepherding concept is simple the publishing world is changing and so must you You need an experienced shepherd and a guide to partner with you as you create, strategize, develop, publish, and achieve your publishing goals. You can't do it alone without paying the price. You can spend your money creating a book that turns out to be so-so, or you can create a book that looks and feels classy, builds your brand, and is a financial success, a bestseller. It's your choice. You choose. You need the book shepherd. Publishing is riddled with obstacles, sometimes nightmares for the author. You don't need problems. You want solutions. 
Dr. Judith Browles will shepherd you through the maze and the chaos. At times, she's had to step in and rescue a book, a book that has been sabotaged by a publisher or by a publishing service provider or sometimes even the author themselves. Judith Bryles is the book shepherd if you want to create a book with no regrets. Give her a call today, 303-885-2207. That's 303-885-2207 or email her at judith at bryles.com. By the way, Bryles is spelled B-R-I-L-E-S. Follow Judith on Twitter at MyBookShepherd and on Facebook at The Book Shepherd. One of the most important decisions you will ever make is your choice for printing your book. You are choosing a company which will be responsible for guiding you through the process and printing your book at a level of quality and detail that embraces your personal and creative needs. You want to choose a company that when your book finally arrives, you are delighted and ready to move on to the next level and one that is customer focused. Choose King Printing Company and Addy Books to be that company that brings you to the next level. Go to kingprinting.com or call 978-458-2345 and ask for Tom Campbell. At Total Printing Systems, customer service is our priority. We are located in Southern Illinois. Our employees have an average of 18 years' experience and know that customer relationships are important to our continued success. We have been a short-run book printer for nearly 40 years and always stay at the forefront of technology. Our niche is from 1 to 5,000 copies. Today, we offer digital black and white and four-color high-speed inkjet printing, a cost-effective way to introduce color into your short-run titles. We, of course, offer traditional offset printing as well. Bindery is done in-house, from adhesive case binding to PUR, perfect binding to mechanical binding of all types including side sewing we provide warehousing kitting distribution inventory management a new print on demand facility streaming browser based ebooks and bookstore call us at 1-800-465-5200 for a quote on your next book project you can also visit our website at www.tps1.com welcome back your guide to book publishing everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask if you want to write and publish a book if you want to be successful as an author your guide to book publishing everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask is for you stay tuned and you'll hear about statistics scenarios and strategies on what to do now to get you published so let's get back to the show and here again is your host dr judith briles All right, it's been another fast hour. So uh, the things I wanted to set up before we left, and and I, I love Steve has a great uh, description, a one-line description, because I have hammered through the years how essential it is for you all to be able to say what your book is about in one sentence. And, and you know, I'm talking about 15 seconds or less, or less, um, to be able to say what your book is about. So we'll, we'll end with that. But Steve, let's get into what you call the 11 o'clock number versus the epiphany. What are we talking about here? Well, so this actually goes back a little bit to the Tonys, which I've been designing for a decade now. Mm-hmm. And I'm so fortunate that I've seen every nominated musical and revival for the past 10 years. So that's like 80 shows, right? And so I'm really well-versed in the world of theater. 
And in every show, there's a, there's a number that's called the 11 o'clock number. And what that means is the union crew goes into overtime after 11 o'clock because they've been working for three hours. And it's the number where the character finally learns their lesson. They have this internal epiphany. And mm. what's so beautiful about songwriting is we see the interior of the person. You know, all of their struggles are expressed through lyrics and through music. And in all of our books, there is an 11 o'clock number. And one of my favorite 11 o'clock numbers is called Being Alive from a musical company, where the singer talks about what it means to be alive, what it means to be a person and connect and, and communicate with people which is the theme of the entire musical, but it's never really crystallizes until the hero understands that himself. Even though everybody spends the entire story trying to show him what it means, all the messy complications of being alive and being a human being. And so that number, that 11 o'clock number, I think is something that all of us search for in our book, you know, in our hero's epiphany and our journey. And it's what, what I look, Tangentially, what I love about writing is it's a beautiful partner to design. And what I think I love about entertainment is it's a beautiful partnership to writing. And if writers are looking for inspiration on how to express their character's epiphany, I think that there are amazing 11 o'clock numbers that exist in the Broadway catalog that they could go to and listen to this music and listen to these lyrics and help them craft their story and their character's message to really deliver something that's going to resonate. And the best 11 o'clock numbers are the ones that speak to all of our souls, right? And that's the way the best books are, right? Even though somebody might be going through something completely different than me, I still feel for them and I have empathy. And that's what we all strive for as creative people and artists. And it exists in these songs. And it's a great way to learn. And it's a great way to feel. And look at our work differently. So I, I'm a big fan of the 11 o'clock number. Uh, so the hero awakens. He gets yes, a reality exactly. check comes in the play. He's going to, he or she is going to change her ways, become a new person, um, do so many different things. Yeah, it is the epiphany. It is. Yeah, the, and then it, what absolutely. happens is, yeah, at, at, at all of a sudden, the character sees the world differently, the world that we've all been living in. And hopefully, we see the world differently. And one of, I, I've been working with an editor on my book, and she loved my 11 o'clock number right? In my book, yeah, which, which was my personal epiphany in my life. And she said, you know what? I never saw it coming. I read the whole book. All of a sudden you had this epiphany and I saw the whole book differently. And I was so happy because she's the smartest person I'm working with, right? She's, you know, super accomplished and she really, it really resonated with her. And I was just so pleased because, you know, it's so hard, especially in memoir to distill our lives down to an epiphany that changes the way we see the world for the reader. Mm -hmm. But I did it. So I'm not losing that part. I'm going to hold on to that one, no matter how much I change my book. And there, and, and, and that's, that's, that's just critical. Hey, Steve, let's talk about deadlines. You must be, have some uh, amazing deadlines that you have to deal with um, during there's their planning, but boy, you know, especially with a live production that it, no matter what it goes on period. Oh yeah. It's, that's it. It's just, you know, in live television, it's happening, which is such a blessing because we can't stop. And, and I, I am so guilty. I'm the worst procrastinator. But I also know that when it comes down to the last minute, I open up all those creative channels in my brain and I just get this incredible rush of creativity mm -hmm. to, to do something. And 
and people always say, oh, well, when did you finish the design? And they usually it's five minutes before it was due, right? And mm-hmm. I think what's tricky about writing is that there are fewer deadlines for us as writers. And okay, so, so I've been... Yes. It, go ahead, go keep ahead. going. And then I have a good, quick question about the Oscars. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I, in my writing process, I set up artificial deadlines for myself where I tell friends I'm going to get them my book by a certain date or I sign up for a writing conference that I want to have it finished by. And that really helps me move it forward. If it's just me looking at my computer every day and saying, I really want to get 10 pages done by the end of the week, I'm not going to do it. But if I say, like I had a, um, I've been working on my book for a little over two years and March 25th was the day this year, two years ago, I decided to write a book. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I really want to be done with my rewrite on the two-year mark. And so I really, I did it. I mean, I really powered down and did it, but that was, I needed a date. It couldn't just be by summer or something like that. And that's just the way I work. And everybody's different. But yep, creative people, creative people, I mean, every, every person writes differently. Every person designs differently. But there's a fluidity to the creative process that maybe doesn't always relate to time in the calendar to us as artists. And so I think it's good to have a balance, however you work. Well, I I have always brought in about the muse. Yeah. I'm always one to bring in the muse. I have certain times that will help juice up the creativity. Um, And it's, it's like the setting, you know, you're designing your set and you're moving your characters into it and all that. For me, that's why I have water flowing. You know, that's why I need to I need to see the sun out. A snowstorm doesn't do it for me. Hunkering down that way doesn't do it for me. What I need to do is, you know, getting out there. I can feel some warmth maybe on my shoulders or whatever. And I go to work. I mean, I have a different and everyone. What you have to do is find what works for you. And then you you honor that and you, you plan it and bring it in. At least that's my M.O. and how I kind of <laughs> put it together. Yeah. And- and, and what's, what's tricky with designing, right, because I, I work on anywhere from five to 15 projects at the same time, which is a lot, mm-hmm. um, is I don't have the flexibility to wait for a muse. So my muse is the clock, mm-hmm. right? It's due well, in four perfect. hours. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. Right? Because, and, because, and I think that that is sort of a, a little secret into the inside of a successful person is I don't get to say I don't feel like doing it today or I have no ideas. People are paying me for my ideas and they expect good ideas. And so I have to deliver them. So I, I don't have that choice of I'm waiting for a sunny day or I'm waiting for an idea to come that might never come. It's like exactly. I'm waiting for noon and I got to <laughs> send it out by 1155. Yeah, exactly. I, I have to ask you about, you know, we, we had a colossal screw up on the Oscars this year um, with the wrong envelope yes. going across. So could they have handled that editing differently? I mean, besides not making the mistake, but when when it unfolded, as if you were if you were in there, would you have right. maybe pushed it a little bit differently? Well, you know, it's, uh, Gary Natoli is a good friend of mine, and he's the stage manager of the Oscars. And he was the guy that you saw out there with the headset on. With the I saw on. him. Yes, right. Yes. Yep. Um, and Gary actually uh, spoke to The Wrap, which is sort of like an award show part. I think it's either The Hollywood Reporter or Variety. So you could look it up and read his in-detail account of all of that. But what Gary said is that he had spoken 
to the accountants, interestingly, both, both the man and the woman, and he said, what happens if there's a wrong envelope? Right. Oh, and, and they said, yeah, and oh, they well, said no, have- there can't be. We have double envelopes. I read that. Yeah, we had double envelopes. Right. So what happened was, is that both the accounts had stage fright. And that's because they're not there really to work. Right. They were there as a special treat as accountants to get to bring the envelopes and be a part of the Oscars. Well, everybody else on the show is at work. Right. Even though it feels like it's a special night, it's our job to make sure everything happens. So it was up to the accountants to say something. And they were so freaked out that, that it had happened, that they had stage fright and they didn't say anything. And that's why it took so long. The human factor was in play. Exactly. And on an award show, we don't know, right? The directors and the producers do not know who the winners are. So they can't say, no, it's not La La Land. It's Moonlight. It's up to the accountants to say it. And they didn't say anything. And so we sat there and sat there and sat there until they finally were able to say, I made a mistake, which is terrifying to admit, right? And I know Mm -hmm. when there's a mistake in my life, I'm not willing to say, oh, I made a mistake. Stop, stop, stop. It takes me a while, too, to process that. All right. And, And, you know, a little room. And it happens. So it, take, be re- prepared to take control, I guess. All right. So we're going to have to do a quick wrap yeah. up here. We have 30 seconds. But your, the moral of your book in, pro, in process is, let's give, give me the line. Yeah. So it's about destiny. And it's about what happens when it intervenes in your life, when you try to control destiny, and when you need to let go and just let life unfold. Which is good, good words for all of us as we wrap up. So Steve Bass, thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. All right. We'll see you all next week. Author you, your guide to book publishing. Keep on writing. Keep publishing. And if you're in Colorado or want to come and spend three days with me, come to my unplugged event. We have only two spots left. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. 